Good evening. I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. I'm Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with public domain short stories just for you. Links to all the stories can be found at the show notes at bedtimewithbvj.com. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a buy me a coffee link on every page and post. Tonight, we continue our story, The Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum. Who art thou, he asked, whose outward appearance is that of an animal, while thou willingly performs acts of mercy? The frog figure beckoned to him to follow her and led him through a long gallery, concealed by hanging drapery to the stables, and then pointed to a horse. He mounted upon it, and she sprang up also before him and held tightly by the animal's mane. The prisoner understood her, and they rode on at a rapid trot, by a road which he would have never found by himself, across the open heath. He forgot her ugly form, and only thought how the mercy and loving kindness was acting to this hideous apparition. As he offered pious prayers and sang holy songs of praise, she trembled. What caused this? Was she shuddering at the cold morning air at the thought of approaching twilight? What were her feelings? She raised herself up and wanted to stop the horse and spring off, but the priest held her back with all his might and then sang a song, as if this would loosen the wicked charm that had changed her into the semblance of a frog. And the horse galloped on more wildly than before. The sky painted itself red. The first sunbeam pierced through the clouds, and in the clear flood of sunlight the frog became changed. It was Helga again, young and beautiful, but with a wicked spirit. He now held a beautiful young woman in his arms, and he was horrified at the sight. He stopped the horse and sprang from its back. He imagined that some new sorcery was at work here. But Helga also leaped from the horse and stood on the ground. The child's short garment reached only to her knee. She snatched a sharp knife from her girdle and rushed like lightning at the astonished priest. Let me get at thee, she said. Let me get at thee, that I may plunge this knife into thy body. Thou art pale as ashes, thou beardless slave. She pressed in upon him. They struggled with each other in heavy combat, but it was as if an invisible power had been given to the priest in the struggle. He held her fast, and the old oak under which they stood seemed to help him, for the loosened roots on the ground became entangled in the maiden's feet and held them fast. Close by rose a bubbling spring, and he sprinkled Helga's face and neck with the water, commanded the unclean spirit to come forth, and pronounced upon her a Christian blessing. But the water of faith has no power unless the wellspring of faith flows within, and yet even here its power was shown, something more than the mere strength of a man opposed itself through his means against the evil which struggled within her. His actions seemed to overpower her. She dropped her arms, glanced at him with pale cheeks and looks of amazement, He appeared to her a mighty magician, skilled in secret arts. His language was the darkest magic to her, and the movements of his hands in the air were as the secret signs of a magician's wand. She would not have blinked had he waved over her head a sharp knife or a glittering axe, but she shrunk from him as he signed her with the sign of the cross on her forehead and breast, and sat before him like a tame bird with her head bowed down. Then he spoke to her in gentle words, of the deed of love she had performed for him during the night, 
when she had come to him in the form of an ugly frog to loosen his bonds and to lead him forth to life and light. And he told her that she was bound in closer fetters than he had been, and that she could recover also life and light by his means. He would take her to Hedeby to Satan's Garias, and there, in that Christian town, a spell would be removed. But he would not let her sit before him on the horse, though of her own free will she wished to do so. Thou must sit behind me, not before me, said he. Thy magic beauty has a magic power which comes from an evil origin, and I fear it. Still, I am sure to overcome. Then he knelt down and prayed with pious fervor. It was as if the quiet woodland were a holy church consecrated by his worship. The birds sang as if they were also of this new congregation, and the fragrance of the wild flowers was as the ambrosial perfume of incense, while above all sounded the words of Scripture. He spoke these words with the deep longing of his whole nature. Meanwhile, the horse that had carried them in wild career stood quietly by, plucking at the tall bramble bushes, till the ripe young berries fell down upon Helga's hands, as if inviting her to eat. Patiently, she allowed herself to be lifted on the horse, and sat there like a somnambulist, as one who walked in his sleep. The Christian bound two branches together with bark in the form of a cross, and held it on high as they rode through the forest. The way gradually grew thicker of brushwood, and they rode along till at last it became a trackless wilderness. Bushes of the wild slow here and there blocked up the path so that they had to ride over them. The bubbling spring formed not a stream, but a marsh, round which they were also obliged to guide the horse. Still, there was strength and refreshment in the cool forest breeze, and no trifling power in the gentle words spoken in faith and Christian love by the young priest, whose inmost heart yearned to lead this poor lost one into the way of light and life. It is said that raindrops can make a hollow in the hardest stone, and the waves of the sea can smooth and round the rough edges of the rocks. So did the dew of mercy fall upon Helga, softening what was hard and smoothing what was rough in her character. These effects did not yet appear, she was not herself aware of them, Neither does the seed in the lap of earth know, when the refreshing dew and the warm sunbeams fall upon it, that it contains within itself power by which it will flourish and bloom. The song of the mother sinks into the heart of the child, and the little one prattles the words after her, without understanding their meaning, but after a time the thoughts expand, and what has been heard in childhood seems to the mind clear and bright. So now the word which is all-powerful to create, was working in the heart of Helga. They rode forth from the thick forest, crossed the heath, and again entered a pathless wood. Here, towards evening, they met with robbers. "'Where hast thou stolen that beauteous maiden?' cried the robbers, seizing the horse by the bridle and dragging the two riders from its back. The priest had nothing to defend himself with, but the knife he had taken from Helga and with this he struck out right and left. One of the robbers raised his axe against him, but the young priest sprang on one side and avoided the blow, which fell with great force on the horse's neck, so that the blood gushed forth, and the animal sunk to the ground. Then Helga seemed suddenly to awake from her long, deep reverie. She threw herself hastily upon the dying animal. The priest placed himself before her, 
to defend and shelter her, but one of the robbers swung his iron axe against the priest's head with such force that it was dashed to pieces. The blood and brains were scattered about, and he fell dead upon the ground. Then the robbers seized beautiful Helga by her white arms and slender waist. But at that moment the sun went down, and as its last ray disappeared, she was changed into the form of a frog. A greenish-white mouth spread over half her face. Her arms became thin and slimy, while broad hands with webbed fingers spread themselves out like fans. Then the robbers, in terror, let her go, and she stood among them, a hideous monster, and as is the nature of frogs to do, she hopped up as high as her own size and disappeared in the thicket. Then the robbers knew that this must be the work of some secret evil, and in a terrible fright they ran hastily away. The full moon had already risen and was shining in all her radiant splendor over the earth, when from the thicket, in the form of a frog, crept poor Helga. She stood still by the corpse of the priest and the carcass of the dead horse. She looked at them with eyes that seemed to weep, and from the frog's head came forth a croaking sound, as when a child bursts into tears. She threw herself first upon one and then upon the other, brought water in her hand, which, from being webbed, was large and hollow, and poured it over them. But they were dead, and dead they would remain." She understood that at last. Soon wild animals would come and tear their dead bodies. But no, that must not happen. Then she dug up the earth as deep as she was able, that she might prepare a grave for them. She had nothing but a branch of a tree in her two hands, between the fingers of which the webbed skin stretched, and they were torn by the work, while the blood ran down her hands. She saw at last that her work would be useless, more than she could accomplish, So she fetched more water and washed the face of the dead, and then covered it with fresh green leaves. She also brought large boughs and spread over him, and scattered dried leaves between the branches. Then she brought the heaviest stones that she could carry and laid them over the dead body, filling up the crevices with moss, till she thought she had fenced in his resting place strongly enough. The difficult task had employed her the whole night, and as the sun broke forth, There stood the beautiful Helga in all her loveliness, with her bleeding hands and, for the first time, with tears on her maiden cheeks. It was in this transformation, as if two natures were striving together within her. Her whole frame trembled, and she looked around her as if she had just awoke from a painful dream. She leaned for support against the trunk of a slender tree, and at last climbed to the topmost branches, like a cat, and seated herself firmly upon them. She remained there the whole day, sitting alone, like a frightened squirrel, in the silent solitude of the wood, where the rest and stillness is as the calm of death. Butterflies fluttered around her, and close by were several anthills, each with its hundreds of busy little creatures moving quickly to and fro. In the air danced myriads of gnats, swarm upon swarm, troops of buzzing flies, ladybirds, dragonflies with golden wings, and other little winged creatures. The worm crawled forth from the moist ground, and the moles crept out. But, excepting these, all around had the stillness of death. But when people say this, they do not quite understand themselves what they mean, 
None noticed Helga but a flock of magpies, which flew chattering round the top of the tree on which she sat. These birds hopped close to her on the branches with bold curiosity. A glance from her eyes was a signal to frighten them away, and they were not clever enough to find out who she was. Indeed, she hardly knew herself. When the sun was near setting, and the evening's twilight about to commence, the approaching transformation aroused her to fresh exertion. She let herself down gently from the tree, and as the last sunbeam vanished, she stood again in the wrinkled form of a frog, the torn, webbed skin on her hands. But her eyes now gleamed with more radiant beauty than they had ever possessed in her most beautiful form of loveliness. They were now pure, mild, maidenly eyes that shone forth in the face of a frog. They showed the existence of deep feeling in a human heart, and the beauteous eyes overflowed with tears, weeping fresh drops that lightened the heart. On the raised mound which she had made as a grave for the dead priest, she found the cross made of the branches of a tree, the last work of him who now lay dead and cold beneath it. A sudden thought came to Helga, and she lifted up the cross and planted it upon the grave, between the stones that covered him and the dead horse. A sad recollection brought the tears to her eyes, and in this gentle spirit she traced the same sign in the sand round the grave. And as she formed with both her hands the sign of the cross, the web skin fell from them like a torn glove. She washed her hands in the water of the spring and gazed with astonishment at their delicate whiteness. Again, the holy sign in the air between herself and the dead men, her lips trembled. Her tongue moved, and the name which she in her ride through the forest had so often heard spoken rose to her lips. Then the frog skin fell from her. She was once more a lovely maiden. Her head bent wearily. Her tired limbs required rest, and then she slept. Her sleep, however, was short. Towards midnight she awoke. Before her stood the dead horse, prancing and full of life which shone forth from his eyes and from his wounded neck. Close by his side appeared the murdered priest, more beautiful than Balder, as the Viking's wife had said. But now he came as if in a flame of fire. Such gravity, such stern justice, such a piercing glance shone from his large, gentle eyes, that it seemed to penetrate into every corner of her heart. Beautiful Helga trembled at the look, and her memory returned with a power as if it had been the day of judgment. Every good deed that had been done for her, every loving word that had been said, were vividly before her mind. She understood now that love had kept her here during the day of her trial, while the creature formed of dust and clay, soul and spirit, had wrestled and struggled with evil. She acknowledged that she had only followed the impulses of an evil disposition, that she had done nothing to cure herself, everything had been given her, and all had happened, as it were, by the ordination of providence. She bowed herself humbly, confessed her great imperfections in the sight of him who could read every fault of the heart, and then the priest spoke. Daughter of the moorland, thou hast come from the swamp and the marshy earth, but from this thou shalt arise. The sunlight shining into thy inmost soul proves the origin from which thou hast really sprung and has restored the body to its natural form. I am come to thee from the land of the dead, 
and thou must also pass through the valley to reach the holy mountains, where mercy and perfection dwell. I cannot lead thee to Hedebe, that thou mightst receive baptism, for thou must receive first the thick veil with which the waters of the moorland are shrouded, and bring forth from its depths the living author of thy being and thy life. Till this is done, thou canst receive consecration. Then he lifted her on the horse and gave her a golden censer, similar to those she had already seen at the Viking's house. A sweet perfume arose from it, while the open wound in the forehead of the slain priest shone with the rays of a diamond. He took the cross from the grave and held it aloft, and now they rode through the air over the rustling trees, over the hills where warriors lay buried, each by his dead war-horse, and the brazen monumental figures rose up and galloped forth and stationed themselves on the summits of the hills. The golden crescent on their foreheads fastened with golden knots, glittered in the moonlight, and their mantles floated in the wind. The dragon that guards buried treasure lifted his head and gazed after them. The goblins and the satyrs peeped out from beneath the hills and flitted to and fro in the fields, waving blue, red, and green torches like the glowing sparks in burning paper. Over woodland and heath, flood and fen, they flew on, till they reached the wild moor, over which they hovered in broad circles. The priest held the cross aloft, and it glittered like gold, while from his lips sounded pious prayers. Beautiful Helga's voice joined with his in the hymns he sung, as a child joins in her mother's song. She swung the censer, and a wonderful fragrance of incense arose from it, so powerful that the reeds and rushes of the moor burst forth into blossom. Each germ came forth from the deep ground, all that had life raised itself. Blooming water lilies spread themselves forth like a carpet of wrought flowers, and upon them lay a slumbering woman, young and beautiful. Helga fancied that it was her own image she saw reflected in the still water. But it was her mother she beheld, the wife of the Marsh King, the princess from the land of the Nile. The dead priest desired that the sleeping woman should be lifted on the horse, but the horse sank beneath the load, as if he had been a funeral pall fluttering in the wind. But the sign of the cross made the airy phantom strong, and then the three rode away from the marsh to firm ground. At the same moment the cock crew in the Viking's castle, and the dream figures dissolved and floated away in the air. But mother and daughter stood opposite to each other, Am I looking at my own image in the deep water? said the mother. Is it myself that I see, represented on a white shield? cried the daughter. Then they came nearer to each other in a fond embrace. The mother's heart beat quickly, and she understood the quickened pulses. My child, she exclaimed, the flower of my heart, my lotus flower of the deep water. And she embraced her child again and wept and the tears were as of a baptism of new life and love for Helga. In swan's plumage I came here, said the mother, and here I threw off my feather dress. Then I sank down through the wavering ground, deep into the marsh beneath, which closed like a wall around me. I found myself after a while in fresher water, still a power threw me down deeper and deeper. I felt the weight of sleep upon my eyelids, Then I slept, 
and dreams hovered around me. It seemed to me as if I were again in the pyramids of Egypt, and yet the waving elder trunk that had frightened me on the moor stood ever before me. I observed the clefts and wrinkles in the stem. They shone forth in strange colors and took the form of hieroglyphics. It was a mummy case on which I gazed. At last it burst, and forth stepped the thousand-years-old king, a mummy form, black as pitch, black as a shining wood snail, or the slimy mud of the swamp. Whether it was really the mummy or the marsh king, I know not. He seized me in his arms, and I felt as if I must die. When I recovered myself, I found in my bosom a little bird, flapping its wings, twittering and fluttering. The bird flew away from my bosom, upwards towards the dark, heavy canopy above me, but a long green band kept it fastened to me. I heard and understood the tenor of its longings. Freedom, sunlight, to my father. Then I thought of my father and the sunny land of my birth, my life, and my love. Then I loosened the band and let the bird fly away to its home, to a father. Since that hour I have ceased to dream. My sleep has been long and heavy, till in this very hour harmony and fragrance awoke me and set me free. The green band which fastened the wings of the bird to the mother's heart, where did it flutter now? Whither had it been wafted? The stork had only seen it. The band was the green stalk, the cup of the flower, the cradle in which lay the child, that now in blooming beauty had been folded to the mother's heart. And while the two were resting in each other's arms, the old stork flew round and round them in narrowing circles, till at length he flew away swiftly to his nest, and fetched away the two suits of swan's feathers, which he had preserved there for many years. Then he returned to the mother and daughter, and threw the swan's plumage over them. The feathers immediately closed round them, and they rose up from the earth in the form of two white swans. And now we can converse with pleasure, said the stork papa. We can understand one another, although the beaks of birds are so different in shape. It is very fortunate that you came tonight. Tomorrow we should have been gone. The mother, myself, and the little ones, we are about to fly to the south. Look at me now. I am an old friend from the Nile, and a mother's heart contains more than her beak. She always said that the princess would know how to help herself. I and the young ones carried the swan's feathers over here, and I am glad of it now, and how lucky it is that I am here still. When the day dawns, we shall start with a great company of other storks. We'll fly first, and you can follow in our track, so that you cannot miss your way. I and the young ones will have an eye upon you. And the lotus flower which I was to take with me, said the Egyptian princess, is flying here by my side, clothed in swan's feathers. The flower of my heart will travel with me, and so the riddle is solved. Now for home. Now for home. But Helga said she could not leave the Danish land without once more seeing her foster mother, the loving wife of the Viking. Each pleasing recollection, each kind word, every tear from the heart which her foster mother had wept for her, rose in her mind, and at that moment she felt as if she loved this mother the best. Yes, we must go to the Viking's castle, said the stork. 
Mother and the young ones are waiting for me there. How they will open their eyes and flap their wings. My wife, you see, does not say much. She is short and abrupt in her manner, but she means well for all that. I will flap my wings at once, that they may hear us coming. Then Stork Papa flapped his wings in first-rate style, and he and the swans flew away to the Viking's castle. We'll continue our story on our next episode. I want to remind you that we're always looking for great stories like this one to feature on the show. Send your suggestions to bigvoicej at gmail.com. We've got a YouTube channel full of stories from the show. Go to tiny.cc slash bedtime. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep every single night. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a Buy Me A Coffee link on every page and post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>